Mm-hmm. And we went to GP Bologna and I 9 day one. And I was like, holy, it's probably my crowning achievement of three and a half, four months into the format and 9 day one. It was insane, James. It was absolutely insane. I had the best time. I was like, how do you ever lose? Literally, how do you ever lose? And I was completely sold. And I think that every Magic player needs that moment. Whatever decade it may be, I was in love. I was absolutely in love. The following is a conversation with Sahar Merhadi, Magic player, games researcher, and founding member of the European Legacy Masters Invitational Series. Enjoy. Sahar, it's a pleasure to have you here. How are you? I'm very well, James. I'm so excited to be here and just talking about magic, talk about legacy, just talk, just, just have a chat. I'm looking forward to it. Just talk about your life, talk about everything you are. I'm looking forward to as well. Me too, me too. I can tell you my life life story from day one to day now. Um, but yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. I, I have a lot to, I feel like the people who will watch this and listen to this will see me in one way, but then actually when we start chatting, realize that I am a multifaceted human being with lots of different interests and different things I do outside of just loud, loud, loud magic player. <laughs> yes. So. But I do want to start off by uh, introducing you by your... Your tagline, like you have a little thing on your Twitter bio, which says, uh, do you want to explain what that is? Because I think even our friend Julian Kanab mentioned this when he mentioned that I should reach out to you, like that you have a certain reputation, right? Um, what can be heard for being seen. Um, so yes, this is a, this actually started when I was in university of my friends being able to hear me uh, across campus uh, because of the way that uh, we were on a hill. Uh, the campus was on a hill and at the bottom of the hill is where I was and my friends could hear me on the top of the hill. Um, so this has just kept going. And then when I've been to magic events, people always go, I can always hear you before I see you. So I'm like, okay, well, let's just use this as a general moniker for life. And yeah, it's really useful. My husband can always know where I am. My friends can always <laughs> find me. Um, it's There is definitely a friends who, especially when I've been to like big events, will be looking for me and they can just zone in on my voice and they're like she's there and that's really useful so i'm i'm happy to have it uh sometimes people think that means that i am just like super loud constantly no it's just i have a from years of working in uh sales and uh doing stand-up which i did before magic um i've learned to just my voice can just carry I've just learned over the years just to keep it that way. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes people go, you know, you're very loud. I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm now at the age where I'm old enough to not really care about what you think anymore and just go, cool. Yes. I am who I am. <laughs> but I'm glad it, the reputation precedes me. So it way. sounds like you've fully leaned into it, right? It's yeah. just, just not apologetic at all. Not, not that there's something to apologize for, no. but it's just, just that's who you are. Yeah, that's who I am. I'm not going to, again, James, I'm, I've, I've now 35, heaven forbid, and I've got to the age where I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to change for you to feel like it. Obviously, if it's genuinely, if someone comes up to me, like in the, if I'm playing, for example, and they're like, can you like not talk as much or like not be as loud? Of course, I'm going to respect their space. But if someone is just like, comes up to me like randomly, it's like, oh, you're really loud. I'm like, well, firstly, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> and secondly, why does that bother you? You yes. can just walk away. 
And so, thirdly, uh, to use a British term, sod off. Is that is yes, that the... sod off. Yeah, buzz yeah. off. Yeah, like yeah. As the yeah buzz off basically again. Um, but the majority of uh, the people that I interact with find it quite endearing, and they're like, oh, just never change. Uh, so I like it. Were you always super extroverted, or were you like that as a child, or yeah. when you were young? Yeah. That, that's basically my modus operandi. Yes, I was always the extroverted child, uh, needing attention, like kind of wanting attention. Um, and as I've gotten older, um, I was a lot louder when I was younger. I've, I've sort of tapered over the years, but definitely now uh, I am happy with the energy that I have. Um, and it, it goes up and down. Like I, we, we can talk, I, you know, we can talk about, you know, mental health later, I'm sure. And like, I've had struggles with it and I definitely do this sometimes, but majority of the time it is, I'm happy in the skin that I am now in and I don't want to change for people so they feel better about themselves. Like I'd rather just be happy in my own skin and I'm working on myself as a person to kind of, you know, the net, you know, all those voices that go, you're not good enough or whatever, or like you're too loud, um, mm -hmm. just buzz off. Shoot. Um, and just be happy in my own skin, which is basically um, the magic community has definitely like contributed to that in a both good and bad way. And we'll, we can get to that, but I'm happy where I am right now. And I can, I'm, it's, it's a journey. Like I'm, I'm never going to stop learning and for, you know, bettering myself, but where I'm at right now, I feel like I'm in, in a quite a happy place in terms of where I want to be both as a player, but also as, uh, a researcher and just a general good human <laughs> just good humans be good humans don't be a dick please i beg you for sure were you uh born in in the uk like i yes. I, I take it that your heritage is uh iranian right yes so i was born here and then i moved to iran when i was four and then uh we came back when i was seven and a half eight so i did my primary education predominantly in iran uh, and spoke fluent Farsi and all this sort of stuff, and then came back in my year three in primary school, which was like middle of primary school, and then did primary and secondary education and the university here. So I've not been back since like 99, uh, which is sad because I like, I have, um, my Persian heritage is very important to me, but it's mm -hmm. not something that I, I can explore it with my friends in terms of food. Like I've, taken lots of my friends to re Persian restaurants and stuff like that. And when I got married, I had Persian elements to my wedding, but I want, like, I want to take my husband to Iran, but because of, um, like the penal codes and like citizenship, I am technically a Persian citizen. So if I went back, they'd be like, why don't you have an Iranian passport? Why are you married? Why, why are you back? Um, so unless I like changed my, like I changed my name fully and like changed it, like took my husband's name and did all that, then it's a bit tricky, um, but it's a beautiful country. And I've told people um, who are like, you know, avid travelers, like adventurous travelers to go to Iran. Like I've said it many times, like going to Iran is a beautiful country. There's a lot of culture. There's a lot of good food. The people are lovely. If you can, if you can separate people from government and like culture from government, yeah. Iran's one of the most beautiful places on earth. And I would love to go back one day because I think it is uh, a part of me that is I don't think about it as often, but I am like, it is a part of my identity and who I am. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, but maybe, maybe it's something you alluded to just now, but mm -hmm. Iran is also, um, 
politically volatile, right? I'll, I'll put it that way. Like oh, it can be challenging yes. if you're if you're of that background and you go back. I feel like everyone I've talked to who's from Iran, uh, they love their country, but it's it's just difficult. It's it's like yeah. it's a challenging situation, right? Yeah, and I and I'm somebody because I was grown. I I was you know brought up with sort of Western values and to a certain extent, uh, even though I have like Persian kind of values as well and kind of ways of thinking. It's it's hard. Like I would say something silly. I wouldn't want to wear a hijab and mm. I would, would probably get myself in the trouble. I mean, I'm not sure if you're aware, but there was a case of a, a American, no, a British Iranian lady uh, called Nazanin Ratcliffe, who was put in jail for basically the Iranian government thought she was a spy. Um, mm. And then there's back and forth of like the British government and the Persian government to like let her out. And like, after like two years, she was basically let out. But I, I have those fears, like go there and I'll be like, oh, like, you know, they look at my name, they'll see, you know, I've right. got a proper Iranian, like, Saham Hadi's as Iranian as name as it gets. Yeah. Um, so I'd have to change my name, which I didn't want to do when I got married because I like my name. It's my identity. Mm -hmm. um, they'd be like, oh, excuse me, madam, you're, you're basically here. Um, and also just dealing with Persian bureaucracy is bad enough. Like I thought English bureaucracy was bad. Persian bureaucracy is a whole <laughs> nother level. It's like, you know, I know, I know Iranian people, like it is the whole thing, but I'm fortunate enough that like my family, we have still some of that present. It's not as fully present because my mom, uh, my parents got divorced when I was 10. My mom, we married an, a, an Englishman. So there is still some of that there, but I was brought up predominantly kind of British and kind mm. of with the British way of thinking, but I love Persian food. I I wanted, like I said, Persian elements to my wedding. We had like a Persian ceremony, which is very spiritual. It's like lots of um, kind of things to symbolize parts of marriage. And so that part of it, I feel connected to, but the, the kind of bad stuff, I'm just like, Ugh. but I have family still there. Mm. Um, and I have family in America, like Iranians are everywhere. Like genuinely anywhere in the world you go, you'll find an Iranian person. It's like when, for a country of like, a few million people like i think like 30 40 million yeah. um we're everywhere just go like uk there's tons of us america there's tons of us i've met americans in i've met americans in the czech republic i've met americans in greece i've met americans in turkey i've just every well turkey kind of makes sense but um mm -hmm. but i do um i am planning to see some cousins in the future and turkey is the best place because iran they can go to turkey and we can get to turkey and there's not too much issue so i think that some of the cousins who I grew up with in Iran, we've reconnected and we're like, let's just go to Turkey. Let's go to Istanbul. Let's all meet. Uh, Cause this seems like the safest haven for us to go. Or Armenia is like another option that we can all get to and it's not an issue. But yeah, I, I, mi I miss that. I also miss speaking Farsi as much as I used to. I don't speak it as much, but I understand it fluently. So mm. I can hear Iranians. I'm like, someone's, someone's speaking Farsi. Like my, my ears prick up if I'm out and about and I hear it and I'm like, Ding. Are you are you speaking that within within the home as well, like with your family as members? My mum, because my mum married an Englishman, it, it was a bit more tricky. But um, my mum and my grandma speak it to each other, as do my aunties. They'll speak it to me occasionally, um, but I have. I don't think I've lost it, but it's a it's a thing you need to practice. It's like riding a bike. Yeah. You're learning, you know. But I think that. If you throw, say, I went back to Iran, whatever. If I was in Iran for like three six months. Uh, I would, it would just come back. It would, it would all flood back because it's in, it is a language I learned first. So it is somewhere in the deep 
subconscious of my brain. It is inside you. Yes. It is inside me. It is, it is planning to come out. Um, but it's, it's interesting when you speak to people who speak multiple languages, because I find it easier to understand like the general gist of other languages. So I get like a basic understanding of German or a basic understanding of French, because you understand how words come together and how you put sentences and the way that they've done stuff. So I'm always okay when I'm on holiday, because I can be like, oh, that means this street. Okay, that's okay. I can understand. Or like this is so you're you're you know, pretty X. talented with languages, right? How many languages do you actually speak I, or have some degree so, of fluency in? So it, probably English and Farsi is the, the main two, and then I can basic German. I can kind of get by um, and basic French, but like when I mean basic German and French, like I did German at like A level, and it was like okay, um, but yeah, they're, they're like basic level. But like Farsi and like it's English is fluent, and then um, Farsi is proficient. Like I can understand, I can talk back if I can kind of give me a minute to like f put everything back together. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'm proficient in Farsi and then fluent in English. Those are like my two main ones. And then the other two French and German kind of come and go. Um, but those are the two I probably would put if I had to write something down or like those two probably there. Um, so I, I, yeah, language is a weird one. Like, I find it fascinating when I hear other people speak languages. Uh, having been to Italy for the Four Seasons events quite a lot, and it's just seeing animated Italians, and I'm like, oh, okay, I under I kind of understand, like, the body language. I'm like, oh, and I'm like, okay, everyone needs to, everyone is as excitable as I am. This is, this is a, even for me, that's too much. Uh, but it's good. I enjoy it. I'm very envious. I, I, I wish I was, I had better affinity with languages. Like, I... So I grew up in Canada. Mm -hmm. um, actually, my first language was Mandarin because I am born in Taiwan and yeah. uh, uh, and basically immigrated to Canada at a young age. Uh, lots of Iranians in Canada as well. Uh, Many, you know, you have mentioned. <laughs> yes, uh, I, I know quite quite a couple of Saharas as well in, in Canada. Uh, but uh, yeah, growing up in Canada, it was like I learned English very quickly. Uh, unfortunately, like the five years of French I had in high school, like I could never go back to it. Like I'm yeah. just so terribly out of touch uh, out of whatever you want to call that yeah. with the language so i can never recover um so really i only have two languages to my name and it's just it's just like mandarin and, and english and i would like to learn more languages but it's just really i'm probably making excuses for myself but it's it's harder as as one ages yeah. to learn more languages like you just kind of have to get in when you're younger it's, mm. it's a lot easier that way so. yeah i i i'm the same as i as i get older i'm like oh i should learn this what's well, like anything it's learning learning a language learning a new an instrument it's like you, you learning a new to... magic format learning... whatever it is <laughs> i love consider learning new magic formats um but yeah learning a new thing it's it's super interesting but yeah i think i like you we i have two which is probably more than most magic players uh that we know um although i find it envious when i speak to um people who speak like four or five languages i'm like how how yeah. do you do it uh i can just do, i can just do two but your two are very useful my two are like useful. One is extremely useful, and one is like kind of irrelevant. They, they are they are fairly useful. I have to yeah. admit, like in most places in the world, like knowing one one of those two languages, like Mandarin and English, mm. is enough. I think there was yeah. one exception. The one time I was traveling in India, yeah. and I actually encountered folks that didn't speak English, like for example, oh, wow. cab drivers and yeah. 
and and certain people, right? Of a, I guess I I should just say because you know you're from the from from the UK of a certain class, right? Yeah. So so that was a little bit challenging, but other than that, I can't really remember off the top of my head like being anywhere where you couldn't get by one of the two yeah. the two languages. So. Exactly, and I I think that's I, even when I go to like for, mainland Europe is like you know ninety five times ninety five out of a hundred you're fine, um, and making friends in this is one thing I like about magic is that. In most countries, I'd say, certainly in mainland Europe and probably around the world, knowing someone and just kind of like knowing you have access to that language, you have access to that culture is so useful. It's just like I can generally go most countries around like a good majority of countries where magic is played and know I'll be okay, which is an incredible feeling to know that you are part of something bigger. This is something I'm very passionate about, this idea of like the gathering. Which is why, like, I to kind of bring it back to kind of me playing Legacy, um, I had a gap during the pandemic, and that was genuinely, uh, I wasn't playing online, I wasn't doing anything, I was just being casually with my partner. And that was really tough. That was like super tough, especially because I just got into Legacy at that point and was like really like getting into the swing of it and like loving the format, and then. I just had to stop because I wasn't working. Um, I can come, we can, I'll tell that story because I think it's quite an interesting one. But, um, and then just having to like two years passes and then I'm like, okay, now I can reintroduce myself back in. So I know how you feel when you like come back in, you're like, you missed all this stuff. And yes, it was the pandemic. So it was like quite tough, but it was just like, I had to come back to a format, relearn it. And then I was like, I'm now never, for me now, I'm never letting legacy go right now. Unless something dramatically changes. Yeah. Um, I don't think I'm letting it go. Um, so for me, like my magic story is, so I started playing, so 2014, um, I, my, my sister and my husband bought some, uh, journey into Nick's starter decks. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember one had Sigil starfish, uh, which I loved. I love that card. It was like a little starfish and you tapped it to scry two and it was like, loved it. Um, and they were playing and I was like, oh, what's this? There? So I don't, whatever. And then when me and my husband bought our first flat, um, as a gift to ourselves, we bought, um, a box of cards of Tarkir and we got locked out on the first night that we moved, but we had this box of cards of Tarkir with us. So we just, as we were waiting for the locksmith, cracked the box and we played half a box sealed outside our flat while we're waiting for the locksmith to turn up. And then I was hooked. Um, I played, uh, I think I played Tima because I was just like, red cards green cards blue cards let's go um and then my I think, first uh, i think red is your favorite color right if i yes. remember red, red okay. is the heart red. second is green right yes red green and then depending on what flavor i am it's blue or white i am not a black player at heart um i red for me is like and we can talk about this because i think uh some people are like this i for me magic now is is a, is a it is part of an identity but also i resonate with what red is trying to represent it is about passion it is about impulsivity it's about creativity and it's this idea of just I, I resonate with that as a color and an identity and i as i've played like uh red green and like stuff like that i really resonate with that as a player um as a sort of like an affinity to want a better word um so but yeah back to play magic so i battle for zendikar was my first pre-release got gideon Gideon Allies, Endercard, very good magic card. And then I started playing 
Commander first. My first ever Commander game, my opponent, Graham, who's a lovely, one of our local players, uh, played Humility in Moat. <laughs> and I was hooked. What played, an introduction. What an, intro, what an introduction. It was also Plain Chase Commander. So I was like uh, immediately hooked at the absolute chaos that was Commander at that point. And then I, around 2016, I started playing competitively. I started playing modern um, and then uh, picked up Burn. That was my first deck. I love that deck still. Uh, give me Burn Mirrors. Just Burn, Burn Mirrors, modern Burn Mirrors or Burn Death Shadow uh, when you had Team of Battle Rage. Oh! Oh, so tasty. I can play those matches all day long. Um, so I played Burn for a while, and then I played Tron, and then I played Scapeshift. <laughs> so a full cycle of like life that I went through to play Modern. Very proactive at you decks. Um, but I stopped playing it in 2019 because uh, of Hogak Summer. Hogak Summer really, I think a lot of players... You mean, you mean Hogak and Modern, right? It was just too Yeah, Hogak, right? yeah. So Summer, so the kind of first half of 2019 uh when hogak was the deck and it was everywhere i was playing scapeshift at that point and it was just unwinnable you could it didn't matter that i was trying to win on turn four and we were both just two ships in the night and i found that really frustrating as a player yes i you know from the decks i have mentioned they are very proactive linear strategies but i appreciated it i appreciated interactivity i i did like you know sometimes you are two ships passing the night and that's fine but i don't want every match to be two ships passing the night um mm. and that for me is what hogak felt it felt it completely homogenized the format even i played during kci and kci was fine like it was it was brutal but at least when i was playing scape shift i can at least do something i could interact i can shattering through their stuff it, it also has to do with the fundamental churns of those decks right because yeah. i think i think hogar is just fundamentally faster if i understand correctly mm -hmm. yeah so yeah i was i just felt completely kind of burnt out by that point and so that also 2019 was quite a pivotal year so i had been working so i graduated university in 2009 so i was the first batch of uh graduates after the financial crash of 2008. So going into the workplace as a 21 year old kind of bright eyed student, there weren't many jobs, which is why like now when I see graduates coming out in the last like couple of years, I feel for them because it's, it, I remember being in that environment. And I went into sales and marketing um, and I worked there for about, I worked in sales and marketing for various different corporations for about 10 years. And in my last job, I was starting to get really bad, like panic attacks, anxiety, like taking time off work just because I wasn't, I didn't know what was wrong with me. I just knew something wasn't right. And I was getting really stressed at work. And I remember being at an RPTQ in just outside London. And I was playing the side of, I think I was playing like the classic, like a version of a classic basically to, uh, uh, to qualify for the next season. Uh, I was playing standard. I was playing the mono red. Um, I was playing like the, the runaway steamkin deck. Oh, love that deck. I remember that deck. Oh, yeah, that deck was so good. Uh, you just had a great time. Uh, probably one of the best red decks I've played in like the last five years, and I don't think it's even close. Um, so I was playing that deck, and I was talking with my friends about you know how I was feeling or whatever, and both my husband was like, "Well, why don't you find another job or like do something else?" And one of my friends was like. Your confidence has gone. Something about you has changed. 
Mm. You need to kind of take, you know, take some time out. And so three days later, walk into the office um, with my new manager who had come back from uh, maternity leave, sat her down. I said, I quit. I can't do this anymore. And just started kind of crying at her of just like all the stress and all the challenge of mental health, depression, like really bad depression, really bad anxiety, just all flooded out. And I just was like, I'm done. I'm burnt out. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I, I'm really curious though. Like what was it about? Was it, was it a buildup of sales yes. and marketing roles over yes. several years and roles? Or was it like that specific? No, no, no. Role? It was several years. So my, the job before that I was working, um, I was working for a well-known uh, sort of information house. So like, you know, data and, uh, you know, sort of these information companies, like software as a service. And I was going for promotion uh, to go and do a lot more kind of like uh, strategic work, like strategic account management, basically. And I remember I went for an interview internally and they said, you're, you're good enough but you're kind of like a diamond in the rough and I don't know how we're going to train you to be better. So that was bad for my confidence. And then I was put into a team that the uh, sales director genuinely made about six people in that team quit or go on sick leave. It was so toxic. Like when people talk about toxic workplaces, I remember going into the office and just feeling panic attacks and panic attacks so i left that job that was like the first like red flag of like okay i need to go um and so i went to another company um who are a well-known sort of image licensing company and i went in went for training in the states it was great and i went back and they i was like doing strategic account management which is what i wanted to do for like really big firms you know these big mm -hmm. banks these big brands and they walk in and this is like three weeks before christmas they hand me a spreadsheet of all the companies that owe us money and say, can you call them and ask for our money back? And that was my first introduction to my new client base. And I was like, oh, okay. And so that then led to a cycle of just always kind of going against the grain. I was, I, in the entire time I was at that company, which probably made me quit, I was in the middle of a uh, finance I'm not going to call it a scandal, but like a finance issue that scarred the entire relationships of everyone else I was working with. Cause it, they, it wasn't known, but it was like one of my biggest clients and it was constantly a thing I had to worry about and the bureaucracy and it was all this kind of stuff. And I was just like, you know what? I'm done. Like you got like, no one's appreciating me, the work I've put in, the time I put in the care. I have something that about me, I realized as I get older is I, I care a lot. And that for me was like, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. I just, I was like, I'm done. So I finished. I think, I think sometimes like corporate environments, sorry to interject, but yeah, it's fine. like, because it's really resonating with me. Like <laughs> sometimes, sometimes the work environments require you to be almost like sociopathic yeah. to, to some degree. Like you have to remove the caring aspect of your role to be effective, quote unquote. And yeah, I exactly. think that that's, that's difficult to reconcile sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I definitely um did some good work there but i think as well 
that plus the challenge of my manager for majority of the time I was at that company being on maternity leave and then coming back for like the latter half when I was already burnt out and my team being gutted, then made bigger, then gutted. And I'm just like, okay, this is done. So I, mm. I, I then quit in, I, I, remember, I quit in um, March of 2019 and my best friend at the time was traveling the world and she was in Australia, uh, traveling up the Gold Coast. And I phone her. And I'm like, yo, uh, I've quit my job. And she's like, oh my God, that's amazing. What are you going to do? I was like, where are you? She said, I'm in Australia. I said, can you be in Sydney in like three weeks? She said, sure. And so I booked my flight to Australia uh, for a month. Um, I went to GP Bilbao between. So I basically finished, went to GP Bilbao with some friends and then went to Amer and then went to Australia for a month, traveled between Sydney and Melbourne. I went to, went to Uluru. It was amazing. And then... Um, came back uh, and I was getting married in the August. So I, a lot happened <laughs> between that 2019. And uh, the week, bef uh, two weeks before I got married, I went to GP Birmingham. This is when I basically stopped playing Hogak or when I played Stop Escape Shift. And a friend of mine called Theo, uh, he'll appreciate the, the shout out. Uh, I said, mate, I don't want to play mod anymore. It's horrible. It's like, why don't you play Legacy? I'm like, oh, it's like, it's always like a boys club format. It's always really inaccessible. It's so expensive. But I had a friend who had cards and I was like, so why don't you play Nick Fit? I was like, what is Nick Fit? And he's like, oh, it's like Veteran Explorer and Cabal Therapy. I'm like, oh, that sounds quite fun. Because uh, I played yeah. Commander. I played Veteran Explorer before, but I didn't realize about Cabal Therapy. So we just played Nick Fit Mirrors for the entire, like, rest of the, the, rest of the GP I'm there. Because I was just doing side events. And I was hooked. I was completely hooked. And then my friend, um, a friend of mine, Tom, had the cards for Delver. Because I was like, okay, what deck am I actually going to play to learn the format? And everyone said Delver. Learn to play Delver. Le Delver has the good way of learning the format. And I actually still think this is true most of the time. So mm. I picked up Rug Delver. And if you remember, Rug Delver at that point was probably the best thing you could be doing. Because you had Red and Six and you had Oko. And I was hooked. James oh, that's o when you got in. Yeah, that was yeah. probably the, the peak of Rug Delver. Uh, oh. at, yes. Mm. I had the best time. I was like, how do you ever lose? Literally, how do you ever lose? And I was completely sold. And I think that every Magic player needs that moment, whatever decade it may be. I know a lot of Magic players kind of felt that that was like a bemoan time. But as a new player, I was in love. I was absolutely in love. Red and Six was amazing. Just who cared? Wasteland, just who cared? I played Magic. And then, Red and, and then GP Bologna was coming up. So I went to GP Bologna. And then Red and Six gets banned 10 days before the before you go. And you're like, oh my God, Red and Six got banned. All right, let's just put a Silver Library and a Fire Ice into my Rug Delver deck. It'll be fine. We still had Oko. Mm. And we went to GP Bologna and I 9-0 day one. And I was like, holy... Firstly, it's one of my... After winning one of my most recent tournaments, it's probably my crowning achievement of three and a half, four months into the format and 9-0-ing day one. It was in same james it was absolutely insane i went oh six the next day but we don't talk about that um that's okay you still win nine and six that's uh, still, still at nine solid. and six it's still a yeah. thing um funny enough anorag uh when i was on the, his podcast this is anorag das right anorag das anzi good guy anorag anzi das. MTG. He, yes. i love him and um making sure the coverage still comes to you anywhere in america um yeah so anorag das um so anzi when I was on his podcast, said that he had my round 10 
text coverage that he wrote because i i played against tristan potzel who came second in the event and he was playing what basically was the progenitor of what would have become bug snowco so it was like arkham's it was like astrolabe ice van quattle leovold tyler's tracker meek stone and i was completely out of my depth but that match i read back the notes about it and i look at that match with like quite fond memory of like yes it was absolute schooling but I think every every Magic player needs that match because every Magic player needs to have that moment of like, oh, you you did well and that's amazing, but now yeah. you've you've hit the you've hit someone who is more proficient, more skilled, and that's okay. Like it's okay to feel like I felt very out of my depth, and then it trickled into the rest of the day. Um, I kind well, of, that and also it's just not a good matchup. Oh, God. What I remember it was, playing it was back horrible. then is probably one of your worst matchups. Exactly. So. I was trying to avoid it the entire day. But I have a fun... I, actually, talking of the 9-0, I do have some funny... I do have some um, quite funny stories. I have a funny story and then I have a heartwarming story. So we'll do the funny one first. First time on table one, humble brag. Uh, I am facing a, um, a Chinese player. I don't know who they are. Shake hands. Hello, how are you? And I'm playing my deck. What a They play like... Uh, so before I... Got, when I got into Legacy, everyone was talking about Charlotte's Bug and how Charlotte's Bug was the best thing to be doing back in the day and it was incredible. And everyone was playing like dark, you know, Spellful Strixes and Charlotte's Agents or whatever. So my opponent plays a Baleful Strix and a Charlotte's Agent to get another Baleful Strix mm. um, and a Cavern Harpy. Now, hold that thought. Uh, and I'm there like doing whatever. I beat him 2-0. But I mm. say quite loudly, I think, in game two, it's so nice to see Shard the Spug on the top tables, doing well, being 4-0, and and just, like, completely unawares of what's happening. So I win right. the match 2-0, shake, shake his hand, do the slip. My friend George, behind me, goes, peers down, whispers in my ear, Sahar, you played against the Lauren, you never saw the Lauren in two games. And I felt so bad i was like oh god now i know it's a lauren but at the time you're three months into the format you don't know the variety of i knew like show and tell and delver and reanimator and like death and taxes and shadow yeah. and stuff but i didn't know a lauren so i was completely unaware well, that's that's okay right i yeah. mean it's just you're you're it's, there's nothing malicious about that you're no, just kind was, of in the moment and you're you're you were excited or excitable and yeah. you just spoke it out loud right just exactly. kind of like like you said leaning into um your 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 personality right exactly so. so i was completely like unawares i thought it's quite funny i say it now and then the the heartwarming it's kind of heartwarming kind of sad at the same time but like so round because you played it might have been round eight it was round eight because you played your first round of day two in the same day it was a long day round eight my play my friend is playing for winning in of day two we'll get back to that point top table again and they go can we do a deck check and everyone, you know, at that point, it's like top table, everyone's around you, and it's quite a lot. I'm like, Josh, can you push everyone away, please? It's a bit, like, much for me. But, like, sure, sir. And they go to do their deck check, and they go, Sahar, can we see you at the back? And obviously, I'm running on, like, absolute adrenaline right now. And I go to the back, and they go, Sahar, um, we can see your Delvers through the sleeve. And James, I just start, all the adrenaline just pours out of me. I start crying. I'm like, please don't disqualify me. Like, because we did the light test. We de-sleeved the deck. So they're like, okay, don't, okay, it's okay, calm down. Can you, can anyone corroborate your story? Now, my friend Theo, who I spoke about earlier, is playing for his winning in for day two with Rectifit. So 
And he's playing against Cataclysm Maverick. So I'm like, okay, fine. Go and, you know, play your deck. They go find Theo. Theo then spends 10 minutes telling him what from the time we left London to getting to Bologna for when we had dinner. <laughs> Just telling our entire life story. The life um, story, yes. The life, basically, like, and I'm at the, with the, I'm basically at the back with the French judge crying my eyes out. Like, please don't disqualify me. I really like didn't mean to do that. Just trying to like, because all the all the whatever I was running on was just pouring out of me. All that, right. all the anxiety, all that kind of stuff just came out. And so they then corroborate with Theo, and Theo's like, yes, we got, we came here, we got sleeve, we re-sleeve, we did the light test, we thought it was okay. So the judge comes back. And then goes, okay, so we've corroborated your story. Um, we will give you a game loss. Um, mm. And you will have to put basic lands in and then get some checklist cards. So I got some checklist cards for day two. And by this point, 40 minutes has passed. So everyone is like, what is happening? So I'm right. like, judge, I, as you can see, I'm in a bit of a state. Uh, can I go and wash my face and like, you know, compose myself to play my match? Just of course, of course. But the top table, the toilets were next to the top tables. So I had to go through the entire crowd to get through. So what I did, I walked out, walked to the other side of the convention center, washed my face, walked outside of the venue, walked back in. By this point, 50 minutes has passed, like 45, 50 minutes has passed. The round is basically over. And I sit back down and the judge comes back. The judge is there. Theo has finished. Theo knows what's going on. And I'm here. They go, okay. Sahar, you have a game loss. You don't need to sideboard. Um, and, you know, we play our game. I then beat him 2-0 in 10 minutes. Done. He was playing green-black depths. I just vapor-snagged and brazen-borrowed every merit lager I saw. We were done. And I was like... I, at that point, genuinely felt like I was unstoppable. Because the adversity and the resilience that I had to recompose myself from quite a harrowing experience to then come back and win, I literally couldn't, I felt like I couldn't lose at that point. And for me, that feeling is something I still hold on to whenever I am having like a bad streak or if I'm having something that is kind of a bad feeling, I'm like, no, you can do this. And it, it was incredible. Uh, the next round, however, I then ended up doing quite a silly thing against Storm where I tried to abrupt, a uh, force of negation and abrupt decay on my turn. And my judge looked at me and was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know. I can't do this. <laughs> and we yeah. just wound it back. And we're just like, you have an abrupt decay. I have a false negation. Let's call the whole thing off. Uh, that was also the same game. That was also the same match where I floated a Veil of Summer for about four turns while my opponent double fort sees me, collect a roof, um, uh, double fort sees me, kill every creature on site, and then went to storm off. And then I had Veil of Summon to to not die and then just kill him with Tarmac Wave. Mm. Um, so I was like, I finished 9-0 and, oh, and I'm like, oh my God, I feel incredible. And then I see Tristan and I'm like, oh, that's uh, the thing. But I got hooked. I was completely, absolutely hooked by that point. I was like, let's go. We'll have a great time. Um, so then obviously Red Oko got banned and I was playing Dreadhorn Arcanist. And then, as I said earlier, then the pandemic happened. And then I was like, oh, I can't play Legacy anymore. I'm unemployed. Mm -hmm. I've started a master's and I can't play anymore. And I think about it now and I, th I realize how much in a weird way I had, I was experiencing some form of grief from that, like not playing. Like I found a format that I loved. I found a community that I was connecting to 
and then it was taken away and i was like oh that's that's kind of sad so now now that i'm back i'm like no this is completely my thing my baby with all its warts and all we yeah lay legacy until further notice <laughs> I'm, I'm just smiling because uh i i have realized unwittingly that i also have used legacy as kind of a uh a way to process things in my life yeah. even though what i went through happened way before um your your run um because yeah. i started playing legacy in 2008 yeah and i think i got really really hardcore into legacy in 2010 2011 yeah, yeah. Uh, when I was newly single again. Um, that's a long story. I won't get into that, but, um, I finally found myself having more time and yeah. more disposable income and et cetera. And I was, I was with a play group in Canada and Vancouver. Um, cause that's where I grew up yeah. and, uh, we just got hardcore into legacy. Um, I think, I think my, yeah, my favorite deck back then was zoo. That deck oh. is now extinct, but yeah, it, it died. <laughs> um, back then it was, it was really interesting. That was around the mental misstep era yeah. uh i still remember like playing one of my first legacy gps uh we actually traveled to providence Rhode island in the united states from canada oh, Jesus, uh to do it way. um and i ended up i bought a, all all my uh fbb dual lens at that time like i have practically a play set because oh, at the time gosh. i was just like yeah my friend was just like you should just buy it you know like yeah, I, I was like them. wow underground sea like fbb underground sea a hundred dollars that's really expensive are you sure <gasps> i just ended up buying a play set I bought a playset of tundras, like tropical islands, volcanic islands, uh, most of the zoo lands as well, like yeah, three yeah. taigas, like plateaus, oh. badlands. I still have them. I still play oh. black border uh, duels. Uh, I never, never got rid of them. I think I have, yeah. I have like, I still have three, six mox diamonds from like back then because I, I just bought them. You just have <laughs> so many exactly. magic players that I speak to are like you. They're just like I bought this. I bought this just like hoarding ten, them. Just hoard yeah. them. Uh, here's me having to buy my volcanic islands uh, when I picked up Legacy again and having yeah. to join the club and trade out of my, like, yeah. sell my... And, I, and I, by the way, I'm not saying, I'm not sharing the story to, as some sort of humble brag. No, 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 even no, no, though, no, no. Even though, like, 10 years ago or five years ago, maybe maybe younger James was humble bragging a little bit. Yeah. But, like, it's just, just to illustrate, like, like Legacy kind of got me through a point in my life. Yeah, 100%. And also... And also, it's just I wanted to illustrate how long ago I was playing Legacy <laughs> in. So, um, yeah. I, and it's a really interesting to hear about your perspective too, as a newer, newer. I mean, you've been playing Legacy for a long time too, <laughs> but uh, been, yeah. arguably more accomplished than I have because <laughs> I've never actually even made a day two of a GP. I think I played like I want to say like five or six, uh, yeah. and I was really, really close one of them. But uh, that's that's one of my life goals, man. Like if I yeah. can day two a GP, I'll just retire from that. I just have to I'm gone. Yes. Yeah, I. Yes. For me, uh, I, I think Sam Sam Murphy on Twitter was saying about what is your you know what is your like think claim you can put to, and I said my joking one was I've shuffled my hand into my library more times than I think other players have. I definitely <laughs> in Commander it was a, it's in my playgroup. It's called doing a Sahar, uh, and oh my goodness, it's, it's genuine. It's shuffled. Where's my hand gone? Um, but then the actual she was like, oh, that's like a that's like a bit down that's like a bit of a down thing what's the actual humble brag i'm like one of the few women who've nine owed a gp um, nine a gp yes and uh, in the history books in the history books and then i post and then i post the channel fireball link um so yeah it's it's incredible and i find now like coming back to it and like as i'm getting more involved uh with the format um be it playing be it advocating 
um, doing the ELM stuff I'm doing, which we'll talk about. Um, I, I think this is one of the most welcoming communities I've been in. Um, it has its challenges. There's definitely like one of the things I was actually thinking about in terms of talking with you is with the, obviously we've had bands recently and people talking about, you know, I think you spoke with Julian of like, you know, Julian doesn't want to talk about the legacy format panel in terms of like the pauper format panel. Yeah. And I, I, see, I, see, I don't disagree with him, but I think it is probably a thing wizards could do. Um, if they realize that they don't have the bandwidth, which we kind of can sort of see, then let the players kind of talk. However, this is my one caveat with that thing. There is a difference between being a custodian of a format and representing the format in its entirety and being a good player in that format. And I'm using that, I'm using those words very carefully because I, I mean, for me, I'd be like, let me, let me be on it. I'd have a lovely time. But I think that there's a difference because I think there's a lot of players who are very good at a particular strategy or a particular archetype that could be good, but they don't see legacy as a wider ecosystem. And then there are players who probably do see it as a wider sort of ecosystem, but they say don't have the results to back it up. So it's a very fine balancing. I can see why they haven't done it because it's a whole thing and it will probably be a challenge in itself. But I think that that's something that maybe in the future could happen. Um, but I find the legacy community to be, to be very open. They're willing to share their resources, their time. Um, and I don't think I've really encountered anyone, certainly on Twitter, who has been particularly egregious. Um, I've encountered people who probably don't have the best social skills, but that's just magic players <laughs> in general. Um, because I'm, well, this is the thing, I spoke about as of Amarag. I am very different to a lot of magic players. When I walk into a room and both in terms of how I look, but also how I am as a character, as like my mm. own personal personality, I am very different. I am not quiet. I'm not timid. You know, I am, you know, I am a lot of it's feeling when it comes to how I play or like, I like playing proactive strategies and that could be very, that's quite strange um for players not to mention that i'm a woman of color you know mm. th th we've seen my face now uh that's its own challenge in itself i mean getting to representation in a bit but it's it's tough sometimes and you're like oh oh there's a i'm not like most of the people in this room that's quite tough and yeah. i am someone who even now I'm very passionate about representation. I think I saw you had um, Jesse. Um, oh Jesse Robkin. Jesse, Jesse Robkin. Jesse Robkin on, and Jesse Robkin, and you've had uh, Sky. Uh, you've had uh, Skylar on, and you've had a few um, f female or non-binary players on, and talking about representation and how it being important. And I think in standard and modern and even pioneer, I think that is definitely. A growing thing and the vml obviously advocating for that and pushing for that it's incredible the work you, the work everyone is doing to push um sort of newer formats is incredible but what gap i see which makes me sad as a player of eternal formats is that in eternal formats that is not happening and that challenge of x barrier to entry because of cost is there but also 
whilst the player base are older for Eternal formats, typically, there is still an old school way of... The old school magic player still exists. And a lot of that is kind of going. And I think you spoke about it with Julian in regards to accessibility, not only in terms of uh, availability, like proxy events, which is why I love the work that we're doing in Europe around proxy events and making it accessible for all, regardless of where you're from. Um, but I want to push that you can play Legacy, you can play Vintage, um, you can play pre-modern if you want. I, I think it's a good format. Uh, I call it Boomer Legacy. It's like for, in the nicest possible way because it's like the, the ecosystem that you're playing. It's very nice. Um, but I want that to be a thing. I want more, you know, more players of you know marginalized players to play legacy and to play vintage and in well let's 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 break it down because you mentioned a number of things so let yeah. me i guess it's my role to kind of break it down right? yeah, or cool. to ask you the follow-ups so what sahar do you think is the issue with um getting more people that are like overall more well represented into formats like legacy like can you just can you just break that down just what what is it because i think you kind of mentioned a couple things, but I also, one of the things I heard is that it tends to attract people who are of a more old school nature. Uh, now you can interpret that as being maybe people who are more old school are a little bit more gatekeeper ish or more, um, guarded, but you could also interpret that for me is like, well, those people, when they played magic, uh, there weren't as many female or non-binary players welcome at the time. So therefore they're kind of like that demographic has migrated into, into legacy. So I, yeah. I'm trying to like, without it being a leading question, yeah, I really want to know like what you mean by that. So yeah. I think, so, so availability, so access to cards is obviously the big issue with these formats full stop. That's like a wider top down issue that we, regardless of who you are, that is a challenge. Um, and then I think it is a little bit of the old thing of the, the social space and like you walk in and you are not represented. Like even when I go to four seasons and I'm playing the main event, there's maybe like two, maybe three women in a field of like 400. And I think the, the card, the card availability thing is one thing. And I think that is something we will always have to work across. Um, but I think the proxy movement that is happening in Europe is definitely helping with that. And I think it has to happen on the local level. You have to get people to come in, play like proxy events, and then it's like the hook. You get the hook and then you everyone keeps playing. Like in the UK, we've got we've got a growing like uh non-male sort of scene. Like we've got a lot of like non-binary and like female players that do play, and it is growing. But I'm not, it's not like tens and tens. It's like, you know, we've gone from like two to maybe like seven to like now maybe like 12, 15, um, which in a community of about 150, 200 is a good represent. Like it's, it is better than some places. Um, so I think it is growing and there's definitely, you know, the wider movement of push of inclusivity and secure and safe space, like not secure space, but like so a safe place to play the game is definitely there and for me i'm someone who i'm just i just i just want I, the kind of passion that i told you about when i first played like oko delva and just i just want people to feel that and just be like oh oh this is so good um so it's it's a it's i think it's probably a bit of like a, like accessibility both in cards and then just 
getting people to just get the hook. And I think that's challenging when you have to say to somebody, oh, you have to spend two, three thousand pounds to buy into this format. And that is not attractive. Whereas if I go, oh, you can come play a monthly event. It's proxy friendly. It's 15 pounds plus whatever you want to proxy up. And then if you want to keep playing, you can, you know, there is one thing that got me playing a bunch of different decks in the time I played Legacy is the generosity of the community. I have a friend who I post about on Twitter. I have a friend, my friend Luke, who helps me with the ELM stuff, lent me the entirety of Mono Red Stompy and then Initiative for about nine months, no questions asked. I gave them back to him recently because he's moving. But that generosity to lend out decks and to let people play with the cards, that's how you're going to get people in and they can start saving and building towards whatever they want to play if they want to, mm-hmm. uh, and then go from there. I think the community at large need to be open, not closed-minded. And I think a lot of legacy players are open-minded and mm-hmm. want to, you know, I, I take a thing from like uh, Benjamin Wheeler with like Canadian Highlander. All anybody, all a Canadian Highlander player wants is another person to play against with them. All ever a legacy player wants is someone else to play against them. And I think it's the same thing. I want yeah. them, I want people to feel like they can be welcome and included. But it's tough. It is mm-hmm. tough. And I, as someone who, you know, I, I try to push that and like go, you know, you can do this and whatever. And there is a lot there there are more female players it is very good to see that mm-hmm. um and i'm happy about that and i want that to continue sustainably not like i don't want it to be like completely like like this and it changes overnight just growing the player base slowly but surely and that's where kind of the elm stuff came into ideas which we'll obviously talk about um mm. that's my well, other hold on thing. hold on so so yeah, i think you're mentioning about accessibility and resources and that's yeah. fine but you also mentioned something about, you know, basically gender representation and, and representation in general. Yeah. Uh, can you define what you mean exactly by safe or unsafe spaces as it, re- as it pertains to the environment of magic? So I think it is, um, and I think a lot of uh, players have spoken about this. When I first started playing competitively, there were a lot of players who did not like the fact that women were playing. And mm-hmm. I think that has got significantly better, especially after the pandemic. And, you know, I, I've, I've, you know, I've heard, I've heard, oh, I'm in the girlfriend bracket. Did your boyfriend make that deck for you or whatever? And mm-hmm. I... Did your boy, boyfriend teach you to play magic? Did your no, boyfriend teach you how to play magic? All this kind of stuff. Oh, was your boyfriend playing in the event or whatever? And I know that a lot of both female play, like, uh, female players have spoken about this. They've written articles. I know, um... A few people who've spoken about that and it's the feeling of like you don't belong and i think now it has gotten a hundred percent better but what there still is to a certain extent and i think uh some oh god i can't remember their name off the top of my head but somebody wrote about it's the subconscious stuff it's when you look at your opponent's eyes and you can see that they think they have already won because they're playing against a woman then you obviously crush them and then you, you know, live your best life. But it's, it's that, it's that subconscious bias. Same with like when you, when people are streaming and they assume that their opponent is a man, mm-hmm. it's like little things like that, that stuff is, and I have, especially in my playgroup, having like Callum and Francis and like people like that, 
I still, even now, I'm not saying that, you know, no one's perfect, and sometimes they will have cues and stuff like that, but they are big allies. My whole community is a very big ally. But it's like those things, it's the little kind of subconscious stuff that people have just, because they've always played against men, that's all they know. And mm. then they play against a woman, and they're like, oh, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, well, just I'm just a magic player. Um, and for people to feel like, to, for me, it's like a bit of a celebration when I see different people. It's like, even taking gender out of it, even like the fact that I'm a person of color, like just bringing that into it as well. Like the fact that when I go to events, it's like me and Kai are like the only non-white people mm -hmm. in the room. Mm -hmm. um, I'm like, just, just representation is important. Diversity is important. It's nice. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's for me, like my biggest... That's the thing like now as a player. But do you think there's an active barrier that is like preventing people of a certain background from participating? Or are you saying there's like some built-in deterrence that, that I'm trying to better understand? Yeah, I think it is. I, I don't think it's like a deterrence. I think it's just the, because it is now, I think eternal formats are very much community run formats. And I think you mm -hmm. kind of had to be in them from like a period of time to kind of know about it. I think online it is better, um, definitely with sort of legacy and vintage now. Um, but I think that certainly in paper events, it was, it is a, it was a challenging space to enter unless you are for me, cause I'm quite confident and I put myself out there for me. I just kind of like took that as a sort of like, this is just like anything else I do. But if you're mm. not that way inclined or you, you know, I think if you have, I think the reason why things like standard modern and pioneer kind of have that and i see obviously with like the nrg series is a good example of this and in the states there's a lot more women playing is that mm -hmm. there's a there's a trajectory there's effectively a trajectory to play for and people are pushing themselves and like you know being like every other competitive player and pushing themselves for and the work that for example like autumn did or carmen handy did or minister torah did of seeing women and non and people of marginalized gender doing well and being like the top of their game same with jesse mm. and same with a few other people you're like okay i can do that you don't have that with eternal formats you don't have that projection so it's mm. harder to get in unless you're already excited by what's going on which is again why the elm for me is such a a passion project not only for legacy players like all legacy players but if i can get more people to play legacy because this is a thing they can work towards and tap right. into the competitive so spirit. It's a win-win. It's a win-win. Win-win. Yes. I love it. So yeah, I think for me, not I would say now it is definitely better. It's a hundred percent better. Um mm. but I definitely still get interactions which I thought would have been gone. Uh but it's it's out it it is like one out of every you know it is, it is, it is like 98% good interactions and I meet good people. Again, I think for me, cause of my personality, like, <laughs> so it can be hurtful being seen as your main moniker. But the other thing I do is what I call aggressively nice. If you're being, if you're being horrible and you're being like quite kind of condescending, if I'm aggressively nice, then it's not, you're the one who looks bad. Uh, mm. So <laughs> I've definitely done that in situations where I'm like, I am just going to be myself. If you can't deal, if you can't handle that, then mm -hmm. that's on you. Like, and I think the, so trans, uh, Davis, was yesterday. I am very, again, similar to all representation. I think 
the trans community it's been quite hard it is hard for them and I, I i pride myself on trying to create spaces both for like myself to be welcome in but also for other people to feel welcome in and so whenever mm -hmm. i go to events i will try to find people who are not kind of the same white guy <laughs> and kind of go hey welcome to the for you know like for example our local monthlies if there's someone who's new to the format i'll be like hey yeah. welcome to the format like if you need anything let me know i kind of know a few people around here um if they're horrible tell me like jokingly i kind of do that thing mm -hmm. just to make them feel welcome and i think that's all for me that's the only thing i can do apart from mm -hmm. like showing good results or whatever for me the gathering is the more important thing and just getting people to play the game that I love with the people that I love mm -hmm. and to showcase that is like, for me, so beautiful. Like that's, that's, that's the thing underneath it all is I want people to do is just to see why I get so passionate about eternal formats, seeing the, the joy, like the first time I got to play with, like the first time I got to play with power, like real power and just doing the thing, being like, Oh my God, I've done the thing. Um, you know, and like, I think a lot of the community now see that and are hoping to, again, I've got good people around me and everyone, I think for me, one of the, it's strange. You're talking about like, you wanting to day two as like your big thing for me it was to like do well at a tournament. Like I know I did the nine oh day one thing, but that was like the start of the thing. But I was like, I would like to win a tournament. I would like to win one tournament just to, I feel like I belong in the club. That sounds really strange, even though I've been consistently doing decent results and like been showing my progress and showing my mental, showing how I'm developing like mentally as a player. I always wanted to win a tournament. And then I won, I won the uh, Axion event um, late February. And for me, that was like, okay, I now belong. My opinions matter. I matter. I'm valid in the format I play. And that gave me the confidence to kind of put myself continuously out there as a legacy player and someone who is passionate about Magic the Gathering. Did you really feel like you had to win that event to have more, a sense of validation? Uh, not that event, but I, at some point winning an event, whatever it was, you know, it could have been a, it could have been a weekly FNM for all the just winning something that is got some prestige. And again, Sometimes that never happens and that is fine. And again, I, it's, for me, it was more just the sense of not sort of a kind of see, I told you so, but there's probably like 5% mm -hmm. of me that was like, see, I told you so. And that element of like, oh, I've done it now. I can, I've yeah. now done it. I know what it's like to play an event and do the top A and whatever. Yes, I did it with initiative because that deck was busted. But, uh, you know, I, but I had spent time. I had learned that I had done it. I had put a lot of hours into it. Um, and I think that paid off. And I think that's really good. And I think that there's a lot of players who, it's, it's strange. The players I see in Legacy, they're very talented. They are extremely mm -hmm. talented. They're very skilled. And they're happy to share their knowledge and that's great. But sometimes for me, I am someone who's like a bit of a grafter. I have to like work at it. Some people like you can just give them a deck and they know what to do and they'll like 5-0 a league or like top eight a challenge or whatever. Um, and again, that's cyclical and it could be O2 drop at the same time. For yep. me, I'm somebody who like needs the deck, needs to 
subsume herself in the whole thing of it, understand its intricacies, figure it out, learn from other people, and do the graft. And that's in everything I've done in all my life, I have to do the work. I'm not someone who's, it's not, it doesn't come to me naturally. I think, I think we're very similar in that mm. respect, like uh, for magic and also other things. I'm the kind of person that likes to study and read instruction manuals and actually like, like learn how people play the deck. So to, to like, I'm not a natural, like, yeah. I feel like everything that every little tiny little thing, whether it's interviewing or magic, like I had to like study it, I had to study yeah. the craft. Right. So. Yeah. And I think that for me is something that I feel quite passionate about as well. And I'm very big advocate of coaching, like magic coaching. I mm -hmm. think that's important if you, you, it's a journey, life is a journey. And I think you have to grow and understand. And for me, you know, I, yes, I have played Lydian strategies in most of the competitive magic I've played, because that's the kind of style I like to play, but I played Delver for like close to two years, uh, mm -hmm. which is very pro proactive, reactive, whichever you want. What if, what a feeling you want to play it. Yeah, I'm in the Delver Club as well. That's exactly. definitely been my, I, the, my The Delver Discord so. just erupted when the bans happened. I was like, this is actually unusable. I am going to leave. And I'll message the four Delver pilots who I respect. And I love making fun of Sh uh, Sven, who's the, yeah. <laughs> uh, who's the who's the admin, because he and I go way back. Oh. And I remember all, I should have screenshot all the stuff he said back yeah. when, like, you know, oh, man, Delver's tier two. Oh, man, Delver's tier one. Oh, man, Delver's tier whatever. Yeah, and it's exactly. Just, it's so... It's it's funny because I feel like a Delver player complaining about Delver not being not to pick on him, but like <laughs> a Delver player picking on Delver not being tier one is kind of like calm down. <laughs> what what's the what's the analogy, right? Like calm yeah. down, right? It's it's like it's like I mean, uh, Nick Fit players only wish that they could be like <laughs> tier two, right? Let alone a Delver player complaining that they're they're now oh, tier one point five. So. It's like our deck's dead. I'm like, your deck's not dead. Your deck yeah. is definitely not dead. You're uh, playing I'm, the best blue cards, stapled to like the most efficient blue threats. I'm not sure you could ask for much more. Exactly. So. Why are you complaining? <laughs> and like, look, uh, like Luca Tosselli, who I have a big respect for. It's like, oh, it's not tier one anymore. I'm like, Habibi, it wasn't tier zero. It's now tier one. He's like, I know, yeah. but I wanted. Don't to worry. They'll print another card soon. That, exactly. That... <laughs> That's basically what I was thinking. Everyone, calm down. Yeah. Um, but I. Yeah, but I think that that's interesting. Like it's, um, yeah, just like Delver plays boning. I think it's quite funny. But I think I someone who, I need something to work with and towards. Um, I, so I like tournaments. It's why I like playing in paper because I have something to work towards. I, sure, yeah. I play Magic Online mainly to test um, and to get a feeling for the deck. Um, or if I have a spare weekend, I'll do a challenge. But I'm not like tight. I'm not. I. This is going to sound a bit controversial. I might get some flack from Modo grinders. I don't want to tie my identity as just a Modo grinder. I am a magic player. However you want to play that. But I, yeah. I don't... So, like, my Modo, uh, my Modo username isn't, like, widely known. Um, mm -hmm. Like, a few people know about it, because obviously I play with friends and stuff. But it's not like, I am this person. Like for right. me, that's not how I tie myself to playing the game. Yeah. And I don't disrespect people who do, but I feel I am a more well-rounded person and I have different ways of promoting myself in the game yeah. than just- And I, I, I fully agree with that, by the way. And this is one of the things I constantly talk to folks like Julian about, which is like, it's not even a gender thing. I feel no. like the legacy community is like, just legacy, like, 
I find it funny people talk about like being a legacy specialist because that's not, not actually something to be you should be proud of. Like like it's this sort of like self perpetuating okay now this is me being controversial. Like there's just <laughs> some sort of like there's this insular nature of legacy where people like refer to each other by their first names like uh like jarvis and julian yeah. where it's like yeah i mean everybody's like madonna apparently like you, you don't <laughs> exactly. need to mention max, there's only one bob there's only one max there's only yeah. one like I, I keep telling julian like you got to stop doing that in your podcast you got to like this this uh, and I, I i apologize this is why when you said anurag i was like anurag das right? anurag because das. i know it's anurag yeah. but we should tell people what it is right uh, yeah. who it is um and also like people have these identities tied to being like I am a legacy player who plays legacy deck X and I'm just like, like, dude, do, do, is that really like what is you want to be known moniker? as? It's like, yeah, is that your yeah, moniker? Yeah, yeah. Like... I mean, do you want to, do you want to, um, uh, die on that hill? <laughs> I don't know. What's the, what's the analogy, <laughs> no, exactly. right? No, I know what uh, you mean. But like, I, I respect, do you know what? I respect the hustle. If you are passionate about a deck and you want to put all your time learning it, all power to uh, right. I think that is important. We need, we actually do need those people in the community because we need those people who are the bastions. I'm not going to say the bastions of knowledge, but they are basically people who have spent. They're time... motivated to like develop the tech for exactly. that deck, to and like write the important. guides, to make content. Sure, exactly. So I, you know, I res so if we take, I mean, let's you know, Bob Huang. Um, uh, I oh god, what's Newton's surname? I just know it's Hello Newton. Newton uh, Hung. Newton hey? Hung. Uh, yeah. Um, Callum, if we think about painter, Callum Smith. Um, oh, there is only one Callum. We there's only to, one Callum. We don't have to use the last name. So. Albert yeah. Limbaugh. <laughs> Albert Limbaugh. Matt Brown. Like, I love Matt. Matt's like my boy. Like, anyone insult Matt, I'm like going to, I'm fight for Matt. I will literally fight yeah. for Matt Brown. Mm -hmm. uh, we joke about him being like, pro midnight. I actually have a very funny story about that. Matt's going to get annoyed at me, but I tell the story a lot. So Matt, when Matt was uh, playing lands uh, after the just after the pandemic, he picked up lands uh, about 16, 17 months ago, and started doing really well on magic, like uh, doing really well at magic challenges. I think he like top eighted two, and I think won one. And I was playing Delver at the time, and I said to Matt, like, "How do I beat lands with Delver?" And he's like, "Put price of progress in your deck. That's how you mm -hmm. beat lands because they can't they can't interact with it." So you will just kill them if you can just kind yeah. of like get the thing going. And then, so I put two Price of Progress in my deck and then we played a Legacy event and I beat Matt with two like, Price of Progress. And so I was at the Four Seasons last year and I would just jokingly be like, do you know this is pro, do you know this is famous Modo stream, uh, grinder and all round good guy, Matt Brown, AKA Pro Binnice, the person that told me to play two Price of Progress in my sideboard. And he's like, will you shut up? Just stop telling people about the tech. And I was, so now it's like an ongoing thing I do with Matt. Uh, but I'm Matt's biggest fan. I think Matt's an incredible human being, and he did a lot of. He's doing a lot of good work uh, mm. with when he was doing stuff with initiative and also stuff with lands. But I think, mm -hmm. it, and then I can go on Sam Dams, um, Nosman, so uh, Jean. Mm -hmm. I can't say from his first Jean Carlo. Like there's people you need these pillars. You need these same with Anurag Das when it comes to control. Max when it comes to doom. You know Max when it comes to doomsday. But there's also other doomsday people as well. Like you need mm -hmm. these pillars for people to kind of go to and for that to be a knowledge exchange. When I was picking mm -hmm. up Stompy and uh, Jr. Hamilton, uh, known as XJ Cloud. Um, was playing the deck and was doing quite well with it. I remember messaging XJ and was just like, hey, JR, like, I want to learn the deck. Can you, like, help me? 
And we've mm-hmm. spent countless of hours of messages and you know conversations and stuff like that. And he really helped me. And I think you need people like that. Thing is, I want there's a part of me that wants to try and be like that, but I also just want to be like legacy player X. I, I would rather like you know, if someone is passionate about that project and they want to build on that, amazing. I will go to you and be like, hey, I want to learn X deck. Can you teach me what to do and the resources to do it? Um, yeah. And that for me is a much better relationship with the way I see legacy. I think those people are important. You need those people, um, but you also need people who are just advocates for legacy, which I think these people are. They are like legacy is an incredible format which is why i look and, at and by the way i want to say the names that you mentioned like you yeah. mentioned a lot of names I, yeah. I don't think those people are are the issue i, I feel okay, like those fair. people are actually at I the top guys. of their 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 craft and to be yes. honest i actually feel like when because they, they have performed well historically yeah. in events and whatnot so they're they're the results show that they're yeah. quite good right objectively speaking. exactly and so when they have something to say about the format I actually trust it yeah, because I do too. I'm actually someone who is more pragmatic. It was like, if you have results, like I would rather <laughs> trust like an LSV or like yeah. uh, an I mean, XJ cloud who yeah. has results with death and taxes and stompy than someone who doesn't. And just, yeah. it's just like just saying stuff on Twitter because they can, they can. So, so actually I don't think those people are the issue. No, I, no, it's no. more like, it, it's like, and in fact, I don't think the people who are like the quote unquote, well-known legacy players at the top of their archetype yeah they're not necessarily the ones who are always like complaining either no i no, feel no, no, like no. they're actually just developing and trying to figure out like how to address the metagame and and i and because they're spiky it, it's more about like how do i defeat the metagame rather than just like yeah. you know fold their hand hold their uh, cross their arms and be like yeah this is terrible so, so i i so i'm in this weird spot where i could potentially be the other person that you're talking about which i don't think i am i think i am someone who I will show my results, both good, bad, and ugly, because I think Mm -hmm. something that those other players you spoke about, they only present the positive. Mm -hmm. They don't present when they go 0-5 in a league or 1-4 or, Mm -hmm. you know, their deck is doing badly or they, they tilt out or whatever. And like... All the players we guilty as charged. I used to only post my like five old oh, yeah, leagues exactly. too. So. <laughs> and I and I and that's something that I, I I think people need to be more transparent about. Um, but the people at the top of their game, that's fine. And the fact that they are always very welcoming and very accessible is also very good. There are players. You are correct. There are players who are opinionated without the thing. And this is kind of why, in a weird way, I know this is going to sound bizarre, but that's kind of why when I won with initiative. I was like, yes, you have Matt and you have um, uh, Lee. Webber. Yeah, I mean, it helps build credibility. It, yeah, lie, and right? I don't, but I'm, not, but I'm not someone who's like come to me for, I mean, obviously come to me for Stompy advice. I'm, I'm still, I'm still in the Mono Red discords hanging out. There's like four of us nice. who, who still try and figure out why Mono Red is still remotely good. And then Phil Gallagher still like posting deck lists and stuff like that but yeah, I, I think he won a challenge once with uh with red stomping yes right? yeah so he's yeah. and we love i'm a big fan of phil as well so it's but it's it for me it's about the wider ecosystem because there's like all these you know people at the top of their game all these format specialists you know these deck specialists and then there's kind of everyone else who loves the format and wants to engage i am some i'm probably again i think because of the kind of person i am i like engaging with the system I like engaging yeah. with the ecosystem and going like that. I posted yesterday. I'm like, I feel a bit lost in the format. I'm not, I'm not an innovator. I'm not a brewer. I'm someone who needs to be given a deck, learn it, 
keep learning it, iterate on it, and then get better with it. So I was like, sell me your deck. Like, sell me, t tell me what to play. I'm, I'm, you know, the initiative deck is good for like a weekly or like a monthly thing, but it's not something I would take to a big tournament or even a challenge. So I want to play something. As I could like, play Delver and Mono Red, but I know how to play those decks. Like, give me something, give me a new challenge. So I think right now, I think my top, my top three are like Naya Depths, Cephalid Breakfast, and Doomsday. It's probably Cephalid Breakfast. I, I, I am. You like Cephalid Breakfast? I, I was actually, I, I was actually going to recommend Naya Depths. I've been playing that recently, mm. and that's been pretty. It's been pretty fun. It's it definitely is... not my cup of tea, but yeah. it's uh, I, I enjoy it the few times I, yeah. I play. It. I yeah. I probably will uh, depending because it's because it's like proxy. I can proxy it up and play them, um, but because I've got Francis uh, as access, I can do Doomsday and Cephalid Breakfast kind of easy because I have the resource of Francis to like mm. help me through lines and think of stuff and all this kind of stuff. Uh, Naya Depths certainly Naya Depths is one of those decks that isn't played much in the UK. It's very good. Mm. It's very, very good. It just doesn't get played mm. that much. So trying to get resources for it. I can go to Douge and like a couple of other people, but like having like, or even Painter, for example, I can go to, I can go to uh, Callum Smith and Jasper Morrison Bowie, who runs the Painter Discord and go, yeah. hi, boys, I play with you every week. Teach me this deck. Teach me what mm -hmm. I need to do. Same with mm -hmm. any Esper, sort of any blue-black deck. I can go to, Cal I can go to Francis Calper and be like, Francis, you've played blue-black decks. You're a miracles person. Tell me how mm. to learn how, you know, play these combo, like pre like combo control decks. Um, so I think that I am very fortunate. Local access. Yes, Local that, access is so useful. Yeah. But I, and I'm and don't get me wrong. I am super, super grateful for having some of the best legacy minds, I think, in the world. And I know they're going to be like, oh, Sahar, don't say that. That's, you know, don't don't be like that. I'll be like, no, I genuinely believe that the UK has some of the best legacy players in the world hands down just the 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 way they play is very good but it's also like done with a smile on their face no one is like people are not taking it too seriously but just seriously mm -hmm. enough that there's something mm -hmm. to play for um which is why i like going to events with the brits like abroad because it's quite funny to just see us all just like hello we're here to play magic um yeah. and that's you know again like it's the reason why we kind of created ELM because I wanted to showcase and grow and revitalize communities to. Okay. Good so, segue. Let's yeah, talk correct. about it. So I ELM, you, don't worry. this is your, this is your baby. So I heard that it was just recently formed as of last year. Yes. Is that true? Give me the, give me the history. I'll give you the history. So last June, June, four seasons, June, four seasons. Uh, so last June was my first four seasons. Right. Um, maybe like June, September. It's like one of the like the one of the June or September four seasons. I was talking with Nicolo Cavoni and Tom De Decker and Sam Dams. So two two Belgians and a Italian, um, and my friend Luke Kay, who also helps me run it. And we were talking about like so the Italians, oh James, the Italians, I the Italians love legacy. I, it's unbelievable how. Why, why, why is that? Because I'm always seeing like you know four hundred six person legacy or I proper think, events. I think because it was kind of the second market after the states. They just love it. There's like six. There's like thirty to forty leagues across Italy, all of which have like forty to sixty players. In them. It's incredible. But what the Italians have 
is an invitational that they, all the leagues across the country all come together as a 64-player event, and then the person wins, like, Italian legacy champion. And Nicola Cavoni, uh, who runs one of the leagues, uh, it's called the Law League, uh, Banana, represent Banana, and uh, part of the Blue Bo Dojo League, which I think is in... Tuscany, I think, I'm off the top of my head. The dojo, I've definitely heard. Yeah, about Blue Dojo this. is like probably one of the famous ones that people know. I about. I have enjoyed their deck lists yes. over the years. What yes. a what a wild time to be alive. So I was talking to Nicola, and I was like, "Oh, it's really interesting that you guys have the Invitational. Have you guys thought about expanding it?" And they said, "No, but we could. We could invite some people." And so then I started talking of Tom De Decker, who runs the Belgian Legacy Cup. And we all just started chatting and it all kind of became a thing we could do. And then we came back in September. It was like, yeah, around sort of August time, we were like, let's, let's actually do this. So we kind of got ourselves together, got a bunch of countries on board and put this event on. And we're like, okay, Four Seasons, can you let us like, can we just like, you know, just use a blunt word, leech off your infrastructure and you just give us a few tables to run this event. And so we get a bunch of get a bunch of reps from across from across Europe. We got like twenty countries, all come together, and we're like, let's run some let's run some qualify events for us. Let's run some events. Uh, I think we ran thirty events um, in the three four month period, uh, and then we invited a bunch of guests. So we invited obviously Julian Nub, Kai Sawatari, Callum Smith, Andrea Mangucci, Javier Dominguez, Gary Campbell. Um, good guy, Carrie Campbell. Grand Prix champion. Grand Prix Gary champion, Campbell. an absolute king. Um, so we invited all those people, uh, Mark Voigt and a few other people. And then we had some qualifiers. And we had some qualifier events and then we had a bunch of people come qualify. And I think in the end we had 75 players um, from, across the, from across all of Europe. Mm. And I did, the player, I did the player meeting. And I get really emotional because... I have the video of the player meeting on my phone and I'm very emotional to see what we achieved in such a short period of time because we were scrambling, James. We were literally scrambling for sponsorship money, infrastructure, how we were going to run events. It was a whole heap of thing, coverage, trying to do it all. Uh, but we made it happen. It was a reality. We got like maybe like 1,500 euros worth of sponsorship money which was just like, we're just scrambling. We're just like, get whatever money we can, whatever prizes we can, it'd be amazing. And then I was, I went on all the podcasts. I promoted it. I helped run the social media. I run the Twitter account for it and just pushed and pushed and pushed. And it was genuinely one of the hardest things I did towards the latter end of last year. Cause I was also doing- What's my... your, what's your why for ELM? Like what keeps you motivated throughout the whole thing? <laughs> keep telling myself that every day. Um, this idea of community, this idea of like, I am trying to create something that is accessible for people to achieve something in, I think is the way I kind of phrase it to myself. Uh, I want to be, I want to provide somewhere for players to, well, not I, we, I'm obviously talking about we, me, Tom, Nicolo, Luke, and all the reps, obviously Tom and Nicolo are co-chairs. I do a lot of the public relations work. Luke does a lot of the sort of social media stuff with me. And then there's um, Inigo Villamore who does some of the coverage work. Julian's on, Julian now obviously helps with stuff like that as well. And I think certainly myself, Tom and Nicolo are very passionate about growing lo 
legacy locally and for players to feel that they can achieve something because because it's not a pro tour format legacy is not a pro tour format you can't we don't have that avenue to do that so let's just make one and like i know that like julian did the lpl uh i was watch i watched the lpl and like i saw what can be done and this is a huge undertaking dude i trying to navigate 21 countries infrastructures and communities i mean we have reps to kind of help with that but because i'm helping with like just oversight and kind of seeing what happens it's tough because you're like okay everyone does it slightly differently so there's a bit of room for kind of interpretation not interpretation but like kind of room for like the way you do things but we have a co for this year certainly we made a code of conduct we have a like we now have play we have reps for each region we added greece that was our most recent addition and it's working it's incredible that it's working but it's working and we're in the process of getting some hopefully some big name sponsors i can't talk about it just yet um and the date is basically confirmed um i think because this will come out after tuesday i can probably tell you the date because it'll be afterwards it'll be the 2nd of september 2023 so that'll be exciting so i'm i'm looking forward to it unfortunately i can't make it which is a bit of a kick in the teeth but oh that's a bummer uh, yeah but yeah uh, my friend well my best my husband's best friend is getting married and i think that's kind of more important sure uh, so priorities yeah. priorities exactly so it's incredible i i absolutely love it i love the friends i have made from it and for me because it is about community like doing well at the like playing the magic bit is fun and i enjoy it and i like working as that as a craft but the community james the community is like I'm right with you. That's why I do the podcast, right? Exactly. Like actually, in, over the past 12 months, I probably have spent more time doing the podcast than actually playing Magic. And, exactly. uh, as I told Julian in our episode together with Julian, like I'm trying to get back into more, more Magic and be yeah. more intentional about playing more Magic. But yeah, there was definitely was a point in time last year where I was just like, I have nah. more fun doing this than, yeah. than actually playing Magic. Or at least it, it reaches more people than me just personally enjoying a match of Magic, right? So mm -hmm. um, just, just uh trying to think that way but and i also want to ask though like i'm not sure if yeah. you got asked this in in your other podcast because i'm a oh, huge organizational behavior nerd like in terms of trying to understand like how organizations work so within oh. the within your organization with tom yeah. and others right how what's your framework for actually making decisions or figuring out whether to go left or right because i can imagine when you talk to reps in like 21 different countries or talk to julian well everyone has like their own ideas about what should be the right way so what is your framework as a, as so, a collective to, to to figure out that all that what stuff? to do yeah. so initially so we kind of so initially was direct democracy which was absolutely not going to work chaotic um exactly. <laughs> yeah. that was direct democracy first um and i definitely got in trouble for overstepping them up now we have um now we have task forces so there are there is there is kind of unofficially kind of like a core group of people so it's me uh me tom nicolo luke and then a few other people like anigo and a few other people um but like me luke and like me uh me tom but nico and tom are definitely at the top like it the buck stops with them sure. um and then you have uh samuele dejani who does like the main event of the day that's or does all like does the stuff with coverage and things like that so we have task forces so each key area we've delegated to someone to uh 
be responsible for that so make sure that it runs so things like qualifications the metagame uh we have nicola guidi who is part of legacy data collection who's the european arm with joseph dyer uh so obviously having nicola there for the italian rep but also having his data analysis thing is amazing um sponsorship which is what i basically look after and then sort of socials um and then sort of website which kind of tom does and things like that so there's like different people and then we have um quarterly updates where we check in basically on what's happening everyone can kind of come in and if they, if somebody wants to like call out like request a meeting with a particular like lead they can do we have a discord server that everything runs through which is kind of currently working as intended it would definitely can be improved and i know luke k who's my opposite number for the uk is trying to work on that for next year or like this coming year um and then we um as for kind of other things it's sort of just like as of when it is needed so it's still very organic um the reps because we made the charter at the start of the year because we we're like we need to have something that we can all agree to so it's a two-page document that we have and then I made a one-page kind of cheat sheet for any new country or any new rep that joins. So, like, here's, please give us your contact details. Here's all the kind of key information to have. Here's our Google Drive, all the documents that we have. Um, so everyone can know where they're going. Um, it's still tough because there's still people who don't use Discord actively and you have to kind of, like, coax them out. Um, so I usually, once every two months, three months, uh, I will send, like, a quarterly, like, update email of, like, hey please let us know if this is happening and then in terms of accountability and transparency of events because of because we're doing sponsorship and we're trying to get sponsorship for the entire series not just a main event i have uh, tom who looks after qualifications is like you need to tell us when your events are you need to tell us who qualifies you need to tell us if you have top eight like links if you have a meta game breakdown even better please give us the dates so we are all aware at that sheet, we have a big Excel spreadsheet, yeah. basically, which is just like a living document of dates that get added. And I check that probably once a week to see how it's going. And then I have communication with Tom and Nicolo if I need some, if something is happening. So obviously the date was the biggest challenge because we've been working on this since, since January and we've not had a date because we're having the infrastructure of Four Seasons to give us a date. Because mm. we don't have our own venue. I think in the future, I would like for us to be sort of self-sufficient, but that's going to take time. Um, so being the generosity that Four Seasons has given us to run this event, unrivaled. Absolutely love them. Andrea Gabellini, what a pro. Love that man. Um, the work they do is actually incredible. So for us, I think that's the way we do it from an organizational standpoint. But there's definitely times where I still probably do too much. Uh, and me and Tom actually last year did too much. We both admitted it to ourselves. We're both organizational nerds. We're both like, we've done too much of this work. And that's challenging because you're just like, yeah. no one else is going to do this. So I'll do it. Yes. And that's a, and that's a bad trap. I, I, I felt all the well, pressure. It is a trap, but sometimes when things are getting started, you kind of have to be the self-starter. So it's, yeah. there's always a, a balancing act, right? And, yes. and honestly, if you're doing it out of passion, it's not like someone's paying you to do it necessarily. So um, you could also justify that as like, maybe I do a little extra just because I, I know it's a slippery slope. Cause I, yeah. I, I am a, I feel like through this conversation, even though I am on the 
on the other side of the extroversion introversion scale like i think yeah. we have many similarities as i'm as i'm finding out whether it's organizing <laughs> things or just loving legacy but i, I mean there, there, it's a it's a yeah yeah it, hurting cats yeah i mean it, it's it's a balance right a hundred percent and i think that's something that for me is now i definitely feel like because we have these task forces set up they're not perfect but they are fit for purpose and i have sort of said to myself i will work on the things i want to do um which which is why public relations we canonically called it anything public facing be that commercially um or just public facing generally um i think yeah. helps you're, think, you're the face of elm basically well it's me and other people but like i i i think the boys are kind of happy for me to be the kind of the mouthpiece because mm. Um, even though they're very competent and very passionate about what they do, it's nice to it to come from me. Also, again, uh, I find it quite funny that like it, and also because of the diversity thing, I keep pushing the diversity thing with them as well. I'm like, oh, we need to make sure we have diversity, guys. I'm like, well, I don't know how to fix it. I'm like, well, I'm not gonna push that bandwagon just yet because we want to build the thing, but mm. I have plans for that for like this next iteration. And all all next in good iteration. time. Yes. All in good time. It all takes time. But I think that the 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 group of people we have in the ELM is very good and in the core people. James, I have I would I would like it's incredible what purpose joint shared purpose does to friendship. It's mm -hmm. unbelievable. Like like I can't like Nicola and Tom as a good, I mean, most, actually the majority of the, the, the reps, but especially Niccolo and Tom, because I've been talking to them solidly about this. I, you know, I, I, I would a hundred percent, uh, advocate for both of them. They're both not perfect. Neither am I, but we all care probably to a fault, but we want this thing to be a success. Same with Luke, same with Inigo, same with every single rep that does what they do because they love that this project and so, so julian when you talk about julian a couple of times when i spoke with julian julian was like i want you to do this but i at some point want you to get paid to do this and i was like i know i also would like to get paid to do this but all in good time and all in i'm good hoping time. all in good time and i think the relationships i'm building and this is where actually where my sales experience has actually come into it is that I reached out to some quite, you know, big brands in the magic space um, that I felt would see this as a benefit and doing like return on investment and showcasing the, the scope of what the ELM can achieve. It was really nice. I was like, I remember when I sent the initial like email, like the top down email of like, this is what we're expecting. This is the amount of events we're going to be running. And then I, I wrote it down, sent it. And didn't sort of realize the magnitude of what I was sending. I was like, oh, we anticipate about a hundred events across the season. And then my brain just like exploded. I was like, what? What did yeah, you that's say? Very I said, very sizable. Yeah. I said, what? You said a hundred? And then I just messaged Nicolo and Tom uh, in my, uh, in my like private sponsorship chat of like WTF, holy God. Well, how is this so big? And they're like, everyone, it's fine. It's fine. Mm -hmm. We're basically pulling from the infrastructure that exists. I'm like, yes, I know that. But how are we coordinating a hundred of, how are we weirdly coordinating a hundred events? Like, that's why we have reps. I'm like, oh yeah, that's why. So it's, it's, 
the magnitude of it is like sometimes a bit wild but i am basically trying to recreate well not me but we are trying to recreate sort of like a legacy version of organized play if you think of it in that sort of like level and i remember talking with anorak that's about this and he and he was like it'd be amazing if this had happened in the u.s yeah but it's that, so that, that would be a little bit down a little a little farther down the road but yeah, yeah. sure i mean you, you should have that vision if you want it like to be global and such but of, of course uh <laughs> have a, have as we've said a couple of times all in good time right exactly yeah. and i think even anorag um said that the challenge because we're proxy friendly and we have the space to be proxy friendly and this is actually something i know uh, you guys spoke about sir julian but i also have it is the 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 growth of the proxy playtest friendly environments that are happening in european legacy is the it's a renaissance that's that's it's a renaissance like it's kind of like a like part two of what happened with vintage right because vintage needed 10 proxy events to basically i mean it's still kind of on life support to be honest and i i love legacy uh vintage don't get me wrong but it's like i feel like you need to study the history of what happened with other formats and i think you guys are probably doing the right thing like all things considered because if you're just letting something arbitrary like no proxies like get in the way of the growth then i think that would be a real shame honestly yeah exactly and this is something i think that's a challenge with uh when i speak to people in the states because they're like it's just not a thing that we do yeah and uh, and you're not I, you're not sanctioned right so that's yeah. that's like uh it, exactly. you chose a different path it, it, it's it, uh, like in the aggregate i think it's the better path but it also has its trade-offs yeah yeah of course and i i'm not i'm not disputing that but it's part of the kind of widest thing that we're trying to do and it is like the main goal is to grow legacy locally and then the second goal is to crown a champion every year like that's kind of the two come the two are hand in hand effectively and you know how we get to that it's a, it's it's a way that we do it but i'm super again it's it is something that i pride myself on being part of um it is something that i'm very passionate about talking and i've made some amazing friends from it and i don't i i can't say that that's a bad thing because it's incredible just meeting other passionate people i am someone who thrives on being around passionate people if you're energetic and you're passionate about something um we're gonna get along just great um and that to me is i found my people this is it's interesting actually because i uh, one kind of a a smaller side is um so not only am i a sort of uh magic player i'm also a researcher do game i do research in video games and mental health and they talk about in research finding your tribe and finding a community of people who like speak your language when you go to conferences and um, pu- publicize your work, you know, people are, there's a common language that you talk about. And I think that with magic, finding people who have that common language, uh, I mean, broadly in terms of magic players and then the kind of the subculture that is legacy, the legacy community, um, it's so nice. I just, I just wish that everyone could find that and feel as welcome as i do in this community it's not perfect like i said they still have anytime anytime bans happen everyone loses their goddamn mind and then people like will say something controversial and i'm like oh 
can you all just put your dick away, please? Well, and there's some... I, I, I was going to ask you about that. Like, uh, not not to putting the dick away, yeah. that part, but, <laughs> but just, but just, that's, just in that's terms just of... What I say to, that's what I say yeah. to magic players when they're playing with their food. When, you know, when, the, you know, when like a combo player has basically oh, killed you. You mean, is it, is it like a double entendre? Like, you because know, there's a spotted <laughs> dick, like... In... Yeah, exactly. Oh, so I'm just okay. like, just, just... Stop, please. I am, okay. I am, I am dead. Kill me. I don't need to yes. just sit here okay. for twenty minutes. But, but my question is like, because you guys have chosen uh, to go down the unsanctioned route, does that mean that you could see a future or a vision or a vision of the future where the ban lists and things like that are actually cultivated differently from the official Watsi way? Because it feels like you would have potentially the license to do so if you wanted to go down that direction. I don't. I I already feel division in the modo and paper accessibility issue. I don't want to make more work for players to try and go. Oh, by the way, this is not banned. I'd rather. For me, it is about providing a space that you are aware of and comfortable in to play Magic in the rules that it is built for it, rather than kind of going. We can do this by all means. Like Callum Smith does this with his monthly events. We'll do like an unsanctioned, like, you know, yeah, Cam's, Legacy called, Unchained or whatever. Yeah, that's it. it. Legacy right? Unchained. You just unban everything and see, see what happens. I'm, I, you know, I, I am a fan of Legacy, or at least Callum. Yeah, exactly. And so Legacy Podcast. Unchained or something like that. Yeah. So, like, I think that's fun for like a sort of, you know, like a week, you know, like a monthly thing or a thing for Christmas or whatever. But for because we're trying to emulate somewhat of a organized play like road to like becoming champion kind of series mm -hmm. i would like to emulate what players would play at their you know big tournaments or you know if there's right. if legacy gps ever come back um, to put it simply it's probably not great to like create more schisms like exactly. in an already somewhat niche format and uh, no no offense intended because i'm a big yeah. fan of legacy as well but it's like legacy is not exactly the top dog of magic. And so no. when you break it up into like pre Innistrad legacy or like pre modern, like it just makes the player base even more fragmented, right? Well, so. it's why, it's why I, I quite, it's when the heritage thing got kind of promoted a while. Oh, yes, heritage, yes. And yes. I was like, I, I get it, but also no. Like, cool. You live your best life, Heavy B. I'm not, if people, like, again, because it is now a community format, for want of a better phrase. I like saying it like that rather than it's like dead, you know. At least I don't say dead format, I go long live, you know, legacy is dead, long live legacy. That's like the common phrase a lot of, like, like a lot of European players will typically use. Sure. Um, and I think that that is, you know, we can, we can take control of the fact that it is a community format and we have people who are interested in this format and wanted to see it grow and flourish and have a bit of a renaissance, um, even with all the issues that it has. It, again, format not perfect. Uh, we, you know, we have, you know, what wizards want to... So why I get so frustrated about bands. I'm like, oh, okay, all right, cool. What do you want from me, Habibi? I'm, I'm it's, it's fine. Um, you know, content creators need something to talk about. I get it. Um, but I, I think now for the ELM, certainly having it be the same and mimic what you would do in a regular legacy tournament is fine. The going back to what we we're talking about with like barriers to entry and, you know, accessibility, I want this to be as accessible as possible. Mm -hmm. That is like my main, that is the reason kind of why I'm passionate about it. Cause we can do that. And obviously if that is 
you know, comes into question, then then we have to take a long look at ourselves of like, what do we want this project to be? Because if someone comes in and is like, you can do, you can make this like a massive thing. We'll give you all the money in the world, but you can't have it proxy. I'd have to, I'd have to sit with the team and be like, is that what we want? Do we want right. to, do we want to sell out and just like sell our soul to the devil? And I mean, I don't say it like that, but like, you know, I, <laughs> I was just like, but like if someone comes in and is like, doesn't see that vision with us, I think it's, I think that's, that's going to be quite tricky to kind of like swallow for us. Um, because I want it to be accessible. I want it to grow. I want people to have that option. Um, but again, I don't think that will be an issue because we are not doing like a sanctioned style mm -hmm. thing. Um, it is not going through wizards officially. Uh, it is a community run thing that we can do in a mm -hmm. space that we can do it. Um, and until such time as we feel the need to be sanctioned, it is, I yeah. am happy with it as it stands. Um, again, we'll there's, see how it goes. There's this kind of, um, uh, I don't, I don't even know if I should call it a saying, but it's just kind of like a train of thought, which is like organizations are not really truly battle tested until they've actually been through some real shit or they've been mm -hmm. through like extreme adversity. Right. Yeah. Um, I think over time, uh, my, my sense is that the group that you're, this group is going to like be tested in different ways. Like for example, with sponsorships and how to, if, if wizards decides to like reach out, like, how do you want to work with wizards or even things like, you know, in the future, I asked the ban list question or like whether it's a separate ban list, because like there could be like, um, not that anyone wishes for this, but there could be a scenario where they print Ragavan two and Earl for like two mana. And like, there's a, there's a, there's potentially a future where like legacy is in a bad spot metagame wise. And then you have to decide then as an organization, like, do we just grind this out or do we do we go our different ways for this, for this, for the mission or for the sake of like growing the player base or like not yeah. having the player base be decimated. So I, I think there's like, <laughs> obviously there's a lot of unknown unknowns in the yeah. future, but it's just like, it like time will test the, oh, yeah. the resolve and meadow of the organization. Right. Yeah. So. And I think that's something that a bunch of us sort of realize in the back of our minds that, you know, we need to, because it is a, it is, we're doing this out of like love and passion and like that can only take you so far. So mm -hmm. I think the next, certainly probably this edition and next edition after that will be sort of a test of like what happens. And because it's, it's kind of improvement sort of year on year. So I think for me, I'm, my vision right now is obviously what happens in September and then a full, and then like a full year between editions. Um, and what we aim to do. And then after that, which will be 2024, then we can really look at ourselves as an organization and see, okay, we have a couple of these under our belts now. Now what? Um, what does that, what does this now look like? How do we approach this? What do we do with it? You know, if you've had support, great. How does that look like? How do we work within the infrastructure that we have available to us? But for now, I think I am still in that. But because I know you've been a sort of startup fan. Um, it, I'm in that sort of like early stages of startup where it's all new and exciting and everything is just like an adventure uh, and you're figuring it out as you go along. And that for me is where I'm at still. Um, mm -hmm. But obviously once it's been a couple of years, I'm like, okay, <laughs> we know what to do now. Yeah. Uh, now what? Uh, so we'll see how it goes. I, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic with these kind of things. I think that's the best way to be when it comes to these kind of things. And then we'll see how it goes. Right, right. On that note, I think Sahara, this might be a good time to um, 
to 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 call it right i think i think like we kind of went through the the entire spectrum of magic and and elm and, and all that stuff and yeah. uh yeah thank you so much for like taking no the time to to share and i i feel like there could be like a a follow-up like because certainly i got the same vibes talking to you as i did with shivam because like after our my recording with him he was like oh man there's so many things i still want to talk about but <laughs> You know, all in good time. All in good yeah, time yeah, yeah. is my is I, my new motto today. It's yes. all in good time. We'll get to it. No, I, I, I'm someone who I, I have a lot to tell. I'm I, I'm a storyteller. But, you know, we didn't get to me doing stand up, but when I was doing stand up comedy, my whole shtick was just uh, being a storyteller and telling fun funny stories and kind of jokes are kind of interspersed with that sort of storytelling narrative. So for have me, you thought about kind of, doing a podcast? Maybe you should just do one for you. Know, I've I've genuinely thought. Of that, you wouldn't content. run out of material, that's for sure, right? Oh, no, that's true. Um, I So with the PhD, because of the work I'm doing, I didn't get to that, but that's fine. But like with the PhD, it's like balancing the time between me as a researcher, me as a magic player, me as an ELM rep. And yes. then it's like, and then before you know it, it gets further and further down the rabbit hole. Yes. Um, but I will plug my husband's YouTube channel because I can do that, uh, which is Too Sweet MTG. Uh, it's very cool. I will send links and stuff like that to you, James, to put in the description. Excellent. Uh, he's uh, he does so he, this is this is his studio uh, so he does content on commander and cube because he's not he doesn't play competitively I, I'm the competitive one mm -hmm. um, but I have toyed with the idea of doing maybe some legacy content on that channel just mm -hmm. to kind of play legacy like I had this idea of doing like an A to Z of legacy and <laughs> just yeah. start from A and work my way down I was like let's start with a Lauren and then just work our way to Z yeah. uh, which I think was a uh, was it Ice State? No, was it? How we had? I did have a Z uh, somewhere. Like when it was like old, you know, the old like naming conventions for like ten years ago or something. Um, so I that is an idea I've had floating in the back of my mind. But again, it's time to do it with the PhD and everything else. Plus, you know, being a a wife and a a, par a partner and a friend and a daughter and all the other life things that we'd have sure. to do as people. These things would... uh, are important, but they can uh, take up a lot of time in the day yes. or in the week. Exactly. Yes. So thank you so much, James, for having me on. I've had some, this was, I, do you know what? I didn't expect it to go the way it went, but in a good way. Like, I'm glad we talked about a broad spectrum the, of things. The best conversations are the ones that never go the way we expect it to. Because yeah. like, even before the recording, I had like a certain idea and I'm always happy to be, uh, kind of proven wrong right because it kind of goes based on where we we want it to go so i i yeah. have no i have no regrets about it so yay that's all i want to hear let's go <laughs> but yeah um but yeah in terms of where people can find me i'll do a quick plug so yeah me twitter twitter's usually the best place sahar mahardi just just follow follow me on follow me on twitter uh i you know you get magic player me and you get researcher me uh so if you're interested in either of those things come and give me a follow oh and then occasionally some cat pictures and some occasional good puns and people uh, should follow the elm twitter as well yes right? eu legacy masters we are posting content on there um we will be uh we have monthly uh article updates we do monthly qualifier update videos so we do a little like map of europe and then post where the stuff is going we are planning to do more content on our youtube channel um which sort can be found on um through the elm twitter and stuff like that uh that reminds me I should make a link tree 
That's there you go. That's there you go. Go. Oh no worries. I, I, at least for this episode, I'll have them because I already know. I already found yeah. them, so I'll just put them in yeah. the in the show. But yeah, no, no, that's yeah. just for me in terms of like future me. I should make a link tree for the to do email. list. Sure. Um, so yeah, I. Um, it's so easy. I'll just like, but yeah, I. Um, so that's kind of where you can find me, and um, yeah, I'm, I, you know, come. I, I'm I'm quite you know I'm entertaining where I want to be. Um, <laughs> I'm just quite fun. I'm just kind of like, I'm someone who just like posts about my journey with, you know, my life, mm-hmm. the work I'm doing, magic as a whole. Like I, I'm very passionate about the game and I want to maintain a positive, a positive force. I think that's the way I'm going to put it as, uh, right. for the game. Cause I think that's important. So hard, positive force. If you were yeah, a, a magic card. A- there, there it is. Uh, that yeah. is it. That's all I. Sorry, am. I made some weird hand gestures you now because there was a fly on my computer screen. That's there wasn't any, any other reason. No, no, for no, that. no. Yeah. So, so hard positive force is a good is a good name. Um, I think my husband made me a magic card, and it's basically Delver Secrets and Keranos in the same card. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I was like, let's go. Uh, and it was like me in like my Animal Crossing like world, and it was like looking very cute. But I'm basically just lightning bolt Keranos and Delver Secrets in one card. I was like, that's quite powerful. He's like, it's free mana. I was like, let's go. I'll take, go straight into my Rug Delver deck every day of the week, uh, which is kind of cute when I was playing Rug Delver. But yeah, thank you so you're... much, James. Yeah, Have yeah. An, an awesome day, whatever you're doing. I am going to go and I'm going to see some ice hockey. That's, that's what I'm basically doing today. I'm going to go see some ice hockey because uh, there's randomly ice hockey in, the UK, in London. There's like one team and it's not very good, but there's always a fight. So I'm like, it's <laughs> always a fight. And I'm like, it's like 10 pounds a ticket. So I'm going to go see some ice hockey okay. and have a good day out. So Very nice. Very nice. Enjoy. You do. Speak to you later. Have a good day.